Hey everyone, this is Amos for Just Being Amos Podcast. Today's guest was Terrence Rosemore. I had a great time talking to him. He's an actor and also he's the founder of Out of Nowhere Films. He's been in numerous films and television shows. I had a great time talking to him and I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Hey everyone, this is Amos for Just Being Amos Podcast. Today's guest is Terrence Rosemore. He's an actor and founder of Out of Nowhere Films and a good friend of mine, you know. And I have known him for how long now? Terrence? About 15. 15 going on, 8 years maybe? <laughs> yeah, I know your sister and your brother-in-law, so yeah, it's been a while. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. So how you been? I've been great, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I've been drinking, so yeah. I'm Me too. We're in the same boat. <laughs> so yeah, but um, full disclosure, we, my my family gave a crawfish boil for my father's birthday, and we broke rule number one of interviewing. We both had drinks. Yes, we both had drinks. I had gentleman Jack, and I had some blueberry. Sweetwater beer? Sweetwater, yeah. Brewed right here in... In Georgia. Georgia. In Georgia, yeah. It was good. It was good. So to quote the famous uh, movie, buckle your seats, it's going to be a bumpy ride. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So Terrence. Yes, sir. So how long have you been an actor? Um, It's an interesting question. I started in 1989 and I acted for 10 years. And then I got out of acting and then I got into production for the next 10 years. And I came back into acting in 2010, 2011. So uh, I've been in the business 27 years, but I've actually been acting about 16 years. Oh, okay. So I took a break in the middle. I took a weird break. I I just walked away from acting and um, started working on the production side. I got behind the camera. And how is that? It was great, man. Um, Basically, I couldn't afford to go to USC film school. And... uh, you know, when I, I started acting in 1989 in New Orleans before they had the tax credits. Right. And I was kind of stereotyped and in limited roles. And I, I soon realized that, hey, man, you got to write and produce and direct your own stuff if you want more substantial stuff. Right. And I had to, you know, I, you know, at the time, I started late. I was 25 when I became an actor. So when I became 35, 36, I walked away from acting and became a PA. And I ended up, you know, working my way up to becoming a, a producer and a director's assistant, a first AD. I was a cash cash money records a casting director from 1999. Cash money, baby. Man, I did a little bit of everything, bro. So it was, you know, I couldn't afford to go to film school. So I basically had Hollywood pay me to learn how to make movies. That's great. That's great. So do you remember the first job you ever had acting? Um, the first as job. an actor, as yes. an actor, yeah, it was a commercial, right? And um, it was a Popeyes commercial. Man, you got to love that chicken from Popeyes. Man, man. I made five hundred dollars, and I was like, man, f- I played drums, and I'm a retired professional drummer, and they they paid me five hundred dollars for one day to act like I'm playing the drums. I said, man, I'm this. <laughs> the, I was working at Shell Oil Company in corporate America. I've been in that Shell for almost ten years. I said, man, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> took me a week to make $500. Yeah. Well, Popeye's chicken, huh? My, my first acting role 
was, uh, believe it or not, it was a, a, a lead role in a college, University of New Orleans uh, student film called um, uh, Marie Widow Paris. And it was about the voodoo queen, uh, Marie Laveau. Okay. And I played a character based on a real person called Dr. John, who is also the name of a performer. Okay. Yeah. So that was my first uh, lead. My first role in a film was a lead role. Okay. So growing up as a kid, did you ever thought about being an actor or you just, just came into you? I mean, how did that go? I, I was a class clown. Right. And I grew up in a family... Um, on both sides, my mother and my father's side, man, we just had natural entertainers, people that were funny. We used to put on shows at family, you know, just a bunch of characters. Right. And so I really wanted to be the next Richard Pryor until I saw Eddie Murphy, Delirious. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember Delirious. And so I was like, okay, he's the next Eddie. You know, he took that gig. But uh, I was always the class clown. And I had an uncle who did community theater. Right. And he kept saying, hey, man, you need to do this. You need to do this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, I was like one of those guys, man, I know I can do it. And I, I thought I was afraid to fail, but actually I was afraid to succeed. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a difference in that. It is. Know. And it took me like maybe five or six years after I had done it to realize because once you say, hey, I'm going to do something, your life is going to change and your responsibilities and your lifestyle. So, I mean, I couldn't go to happy hour on Fridays because I had to be at rehearsal or doing a play. I couldn't do, you know, my boys, we just, you know, we all had jobs and going to college part-time at night or whatever. And in between, we go hang chasing skirts or whatever. And so the fact that I'm working full-time, going to school part-time, and then I'm doing theater or pursuing this acting stuff, is, you know, leaves little room for anything else. And so it was... You know, if you from the age of 15 to 25, all you're doing is playing. That is true. That's true. And so, yeah. And I think I was, I was just, I thought I was afraid to fail, but I was actually afraid to jump off that cliff. And, and I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. And, you know, they, they never get to do what they really want to do in their heart. It's a, t- it's a leap of faith. You know, you don't, it's something that you really enjoy. And I always say, if you, you go ahead and do it. If it's, if you fail, just get back and do it again. You know, there's, there's something for you. I, I saw something on the road on a little church. Uh, you know, they have the little billboards, and it says, "You can't climb a mountain by looking at it." That makes total sense. Total sense, man. Yeah, you're looking at it, man. I want to climb that mountain, but get your ass up there and climb it, then. You know, uh, one of the, one of the most important things to me was told to me that's helped me in my career was um, something someone said: uh, to have a career in the entertainment industry, you have to eat the elephant. Right. So most people say, man, I ain't eat no elephant. And some people say, all right, I'm going to eat it. They'll eat an ear and then they quit. Some people eat half of it and then, you know, their wife get pregnant or they, you know, they got personal stuff or whatever. Or they just get tired of ele- I can't eat no more elephant. Right. And then you get down, you got one foot left. And out of a thousand people who started eating that elephant, you might have three or four left who completed. Yeah, yeah that kind of makes sense. I see what you're talking about. And really, man, it's really about just... Um, you know, um, being persistent and not quitting. I, I, when I, I was Halle Berry's assistant on a movie, right. Monsters Ball, and every and I, and I had a uh, good fortune of working with several actors of that profile. Um, stop right there. Stop okay. right there. Okay. Monster Ball. <laughs> oh my goodness, man! I mean, Halle Berry, hell of an actress, but I think she could have deserved an Oscar for another movie. I mean, this is my opinion. Absolutely. You know that. You know, that. she's. 
took her clothes off and made me feel good. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> what you complaining about? I mean, it was it was you right, man. It, it was it was good, man. But he pleasure was in it. I'm like, wow. And right, right. in the future movies, he played the Joker. Right. He won an Oscar for that. Right. You know, I'm like, man, this is it was good. I mean, but at the same time, man, I mean, she had better roles that I think she could have deserved an Oscar for. That's most, my opinion. No, no, you, you're absolutely right, man. And most actors, they don't get the the Oscar for the role that they deserve. You know, the the uh, training day that when Denzel he got it for Hurricane. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Malcolm X. And whoever won it the year he's supposed to get it for Hurricane, they got it for some other thing that they did got they got snubbed on. Yeah, that's I mean, I, that's in my opinion. That's Hollywood, but you work in Hollywood too. So my, my personal opinion about Halle and taking her clothes off and getting that Oscar, it was a business decision, right? And that's not the first time she did. I think she did it twice in um, Swordfish. Yeah, yeah, because she we had shot that right after Swordfish. Oh, you did? Cause, yeah, because I remember she had to go back to L.A. To, at the Blockbuster Awards to give her a uh, present award with uh, Hugh Jackman or whoever, right? But um, let me just say this about Hallie, man. She is one of the most professional, sweetest, coolest people that I've ever worked with, man. And I've worked with A-list people. And I've been blessed because I say 99% of the actors that I've worked with as a personal assistant, they have been awesome. I'm talking about A-list, B-list, right. top of the game. And um, I work, you know, I worked with her for about six weeks. So that was enough. You know, you can, you can put on an act for about a week and a half, two weeks. Uh-huh. And then, you know, the real. And the real, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. So. Okay. So, um, how do you prepare for your roles? I mean, you had many roles over the career, your career. So, how do you prepare for one? Yeah, it, it just depends on it. Like, um, you know, it's I, I do my research. Um, I'm curious naturally, right? And I tell anybody getting into the audience, audience, <laughs> into the arts. To be honest with you, man, I just tell people, especially black people, man, be curious about the world. Be you know, be curious, man, because it's we, you know we got so much access to information, but um. It just depends, man. If it's something that I've played before, like I play a lot of cops, so I'm always looking for a different take on it. You know, how can I not repeat myself? So, um, you know, if you ask me about a particular project, then maybe I could give you some insight specific. But um, I I just do research, and then I forget about that. In other words, um, I, I do so much research and observing people and things that are similar to what I need to do that... Like osmosis, it just I'm you know I'm not even thinking about it, you know. But it's a trip, man, because I'll get big, I'll get a little smaller, right? And um, people don't, you know, people, look, man, you look for me, and they, you know, because I have facial hair sometimes, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, man. Um, recently, I went to see the Nice Guys, mm-hmm. and um, I was with my girlfriend, and it was this scene with Ryan Gosling, Gosling in the bar, <laughs> and I saw you. I said, Oh, I know him. I know him. Yo, man, that's Teresha's brother, Terrence. <laughs> and I'm looking up, and really, I said, yeah, that's him. And, and the part was funny, man. Ryan Gosling, that whole entire movie was funny, man. That, that was actually the first day and the first scene they shot of the movie. Really? In Atlanta, yeah. Right, man, that was a funny movie, man. I like Shane Black. That's the director. And that's my next question for you. Mm-hmm. How high is it working with Shane Black? He, man, it was so cool. Usually when I'm, I've been blessed, man, because I've, I've gotten an opportunity to work with some of the biggest directors and actors and then like you know some people that are not as big right and I try to approach it the same you know to show up know what I'm supposed to do and um, usually what I'll do is like when I you know I get the the auditions like okay cool this is Shane Black so you know I want to make this happen but then I leave that alone right I don't want to get caught up in the 
putting too much pressure, overdoing it, or whatever. So I just prepared. You know, it was a small scene, but it like we it took half the day, most of the day, to shoot that. And what surprised me was that um, he gave me like one of my ad libs is in the deal. You know, right. in, 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 and I ad lib a lot. Right. And, and part of that, like you're saying, pre- preparing. You know, uh, I've been blessed. Like I said, man, I work with great writers, especially in TV. But once I make the character mine, I always write ad libs. Because I've been stuck where we've had these, you know, uncomfortable pauses because the way they wrote it and the way the physical location, the timing is, right. we got this little empty deal. And I got caught like that maybe twice. I said, man, I'm always have ad-libs just in case. Just, yeah, just in case. And even if I don't say them, if I've got, I can think them. Right. Where I'm not just there like a, you know, like a deer in the head, like <laughs> waiting for somebody to give me a line on cue. But he was cool, man. He was very um, down to earth. Um he let me ad lib, and then it got to a point. He was like, you know, because I, 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 you know, I, I go big or I go home. Right. I'm not like oh, I'm just happy to be here. I'm man. Y'all got to call me off. Y'all got to right. say, hey man, chill out. And and I think they like that because they'd rather pull you back than have to push you. Right. You know, because sometimes you just get stuck with a dud. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and you got a dud. There's nothing you could do. But if you got a live wire, you see, and, and if they're intelligent and they're, and they're a team player, say, look, that's cool, but. So usually when I'm ad libbing, I'll, I'll I'll do what they want, and then I'll, I'll sneak my stuff in. And um, I, I was sneaking mine, and then he came. He's like, "All right, man, just stick to the line." <laughs> he, he said, "It's like it's funny." And so what ended up happening? He said, "Well, since you did it on the first, you know, angle that we shot it, you got to do it on every angle now." And they kept it. They kept one of the ad libs. So now he was real cool. Uh, the producer, what's his name? He actually uh, produced Swordfish also. Um, Oh man, I can't think of this guy's name, but he was on set. He's he's like he's almost like um like the Weinstein, one of those kind of guys. You know? uh, uh Silverman, Joel Silverman. All right, Joel Silverman, yeah, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Lethal Weapon, yeah, exactly. Shane Black directed Lethal Weapon too. I saw him and I didn't know it was Joel Silverman. Right. And so he's sitting in a chair and I walk past, you know, when they're about to change setups. And he reaches, I usually cats like that who've got that kind of track record, man. And, you know, you're just a day, coming in for a day, you're like an extra, a glorified extra. Right. And they're not trying to be friends with you. But he reaches, say, hey, man, good stuff. And even Ryan was like, hey, man, good stuff. And so, you know, that that felt good. But uh, Shane was cool, man. He he gave me freedom. Yeah, I like Shane. He he directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. One of my favorites, man. I love, <laughs> I love it. You're talking about funny. Yeah, it's funny. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like his work, man. And uh, he's right now, he in doing um, Predator. Yep. He's doing a Predator movie. And something else. I thought he had something else lined up that's kind of big on Yeah, that I think scene. so, too. But it's so funny because uh, he was like one of the characters in the first Predator movie. Shane yeah. Black. He yeah, was yeah. one of the um, actors, man. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I heard him say that. Yeah, and, and I was like, wow. And he also did Iron Man 3. I'm a big Marvel, um, I'm a comic book geek. You know, I like all my Marvel films. And comic did, book. Did, did you like the one he did? Oh, yeah, I liked the one he did. People didn't like it because of the twist mm-hmm. of the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know the Mandarin story in the comic book. You know, you got to switch it up. You got to change it. Right, right. I, I had no problem with it. It's, it's funny that you say that, man, because I heard, I don't think I saw Iron Man. Maybe I did, I don't remember, but. I heard a podcast, uh, I don't know if it was Elvis Mitchell or The Business, right. KCRW or whatever, and they were talking about that twist. And so I don't think I saw it, because when they, they were talking about it, it was like it was an uproar. Yeah, most of the comic book community were fans, you know, they were oh man, he changed the, um, the origin of the Mandarin and stuff like that. I get it, you know. 
you can't satisfy everyone. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I could. I saw it and I said, okay, I'm, I'm cool with it. Right. You know, it was a good movie. Cool. You know, but we talk about Marvel Cinematic Universe. We talking about Disney. Okay, man, this this is a mega house. This is a powerhouse. So let me ask you a question, man, mm-hmm. because you know I shot Guardians and that was my first uh, comic book movie as right. an actor, and so um, you know. Just the the whole canon of Marvel over the last what was it been ten ten years now ten years yeah so they seem like are you guys happy are the fans happy with with how they're handling yeah I'm happy Um, the first Guardian movie it was great it was different you know people never seen a Marvel film like that Mm -hmm. because you always had Iron Man Thor and Captain America and it was something different you know Guardians of Galaxy it's a space opera right. You know, you exactly. got you got this raccoon, you got this tree, you got this guy who doesn't know anything. Can you imagine somebody pitching that without the, the reference to the comic book and the response they'd get from Hollywood? They'll think you crazy. Exactly. They'd run you out. They'd run you out of it. They'd think, oh, are you serious? Right. But with Marvel backing it, you know, they could not lose. Right. It was a gamble. Right. It was a right. gamble. You know, and then but it was a, a well-paid gamble. Right. You know, after that, they did Ant-Man, which was filmed in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get to that question too. Okay. You know, you you from Louisiana, right? But Atlanta right now is like a, it's Hollywood South. It's it, Hollywood it's, South. Oh, absolutely! You guys have taken the mantle about. I I got Atlanta representation maybe about two or three years ago. Right. And when I first started working in Atlanta and New Orleans, it was like thirty percent New Atlanta and seventy percent New Orleans. Now it's flipped. Right, seventy percent. You know, I'm literally probably going to move here within the next couple of months. That's one about actually. Are, yeah, are you going to move here? Because I, I, mean, I am. I've been trying to fight it and you know push it off, or whatever. But the reality, you know, because it's my hometown, New Orleans, right. and I and I was gone for about ten, eleven years, and I got to come back and make a living. It's funny because when I moved to L- L.A., the tax credits came like a year later, and I'm I'm behind the scenes, you know, being a PA, and I'm seeing all these guys who are my acting students getting nice roles. And my agent and my friends, Wendell Pierce, who's been a mentor to me, we played uh, Little League Baseball against each other. T, why you not acting? I said, oh, man, I'm trying to do this producer. Like, man, you can produce and act, and you need to get your butt back in New Orleans. My agent, Mr. Rosemore, <laughs> when are you coming back? And so I finally you know, took my pride out of the equation and came right. back. But Atlanta is, I love what's, what's happening with Atlanta. Not, not because they got the movie, but I like the mix because it's a... East Coast, West Coast, Southern mix. New Orleans was like that too, but you guys are even more so. Yeah, it's it's a lot of transplants here, man. People yeah, come yeah. from different transient, right? Transients, I'm sorry, transient. No, guy. no, you're right though. Transplants and transient. Right. So it's um it's a it's a melting pot. You know, it's people from different cultures come here. I love that. You know, and the way Hollywood just all of a sudden is just boom. You know, you got T V, movies are done here, you got the walking dead, animation. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 opportunities. It is, man. You know, and I, I kind of think it's cool. And I've been here in Atlanta 15 years. Okay. And I, yeah, and I think it's kind of cool, man, that Hollywood t- came here, you know, said, yo, this is the tax break. You know, it's the, the land. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got it's it's got a lot of things here that Hollywood needs. Absolutely. And that's, it's everything you guys have, Louisiana didn't have. We're water-based, meaning that north, south, east, and west of New Orleans are lakes and swamps and right. the Gulf. right. So unless you ha- you got to take a trek, which is not too bad, you know, 30, 45-minute trek across this, 
thing of water, but also too you have the hurricanes, right? And the the uh, you know from June first to whatever the end of uh, hurricane season, your insurance goes up. That sucks. It does. And then if you're in the middle of this big shoot, and then you got to abandon, you know, because like another Katrina happens, you know, or something like that, you know. And so it just makes sense, like you said, man. You guys got the land. You've got the uh, the, the Atlanta crews are some of the best crews I've ever worked with because of that sensibility of that New York hustle, that L.A. ingenuity, and that Southern charm. Right. And I thought about being an extra, man, because I know Spider-Man is somewhere, it's getting filmed here, too. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming Mm -hmm. that, you know, Marvel's doing. And um, they also filmed in Charlotte a lot, too, in North Carolina. To me, I think the South is just like, it's, it's great for Hollywood. Charlotte actually, I think at the end of 2014, they ended their tax credits. Okay. Just like, well, Louisiana didn't end them, but they, they flipped them to the point where they weren't attractive to Hollywood anymore. And so they're still shooting in Charlotte because they have infrastructure there. Right. And they're also shooting in South Carolina because I've shot some stuff there. And they still have the, they have tax credits in uh, South Carolina. Okay. And I just talked to a couple of producer friends of mine. And they say, hey, man, we, you know, if, if the movie is not too site specific, uh, specific, we're going to go where the, you know, where the, the best, uh, we can get the, the best bang for our buck. Right. So all the stumbling is that, that sweet water blue that I had, man. Yeah, that's some good sweet water blue, man. When, was that your first time drinking? Yeah, I mean, I tried to, I had a beer that's root beer that's beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of strange. Yeah. So, working here, how many movies have you done in Atlanta so uh, far? I've done Bessie. And that's the one with Queen Latifah, right? Yes. She won an award for that movie, right? I don't know. If she, I know she was nominated for stuff. I don't know if she well, won. Mike Epps. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've done Bessie, uh, Nice Guys, Fist Fight, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, what else I did? Something I'm missing. Uh, something else. I, I can't think of it offhand, but yeah. Last year and a half, man. I did a couple of commercials. As a matter of fact, I started off, I did like a, a um, Final Four commercial with Charles Barkley <laughs> about two years ago. That was the first thing that I did. Man, uh, so yeah, man, Atlanta's popping. I'd say seventy-five percent of my auditions originating, you know, stuff that's shooting either here, in Memphis, or Charlotte. Okay, so you're done um, working on Guardian of the Galaxy, right? I just wrapped about two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Okay, yeah, it was another person that I know had a um, a cosplayer. She's was like an extra in Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. She was doing it too. Like, that's cool, man. I know two people now that's in Guardians of the right, Galaxy. Right. But you might, some people have makeup on. Probably I wouldn't even recognize you if you had a makeup. Right, <laughs> you right. know? Right. I've, um, what was beautiful about my role, I have a lead. You know, right. I mean, the leads are the people we know. Yeah, right. Chris Pratt um, and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, we got a bunch of cameos. But, um, man, I shot, I started with them like late January. And wow. I just finished in uh, May. In wow. the middle of May. So, did you go to Pinewood Studios? Yeah, we shot, most of it was in Pinewood, and then we also shot by the airport at the old, I don't know if it's the old convention center. Mm-hmm. And so, that's where um, we shot, I'd say probably maybe a third of the stuff was at the airport, and the, the balance was in Pinewood. Because I know for that kind of movie, it's a lot of green screen. Sometimes yeah, 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 green, green blue. Green, yeah, yeah, blue, yeah, blue screen, blue. whatever. Yeah, yeah. It changed colors. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> 
And I'd ask somebody, because I remember it started out blue, then it went green. Right. But everything on this was blue. And I'd asked one of the cats uh, who was working tech, and I forgot what he told me, why they went with blue or whatever. All right, cool. So, also another question is, would you rather be a creator of a TV show or a film? You know, have, I mean, would you consider just writing a script and just show it somebody say, just go ahead, I'm going to do this? Yeah. Have you ever done that before? Yes, I have. Actually, uh, I've uh, I've done most of it. I've done a couple of web series. I just finished uh, a script about violence in New Orleans that I co-wrote with um, my, co- my, my writing partner, C.L. Taylor. He's out in L.A. He's from Louisiana, but he's been in L.A. for about the last 10, 15 years. And so we've got, uh, you ever saw City of God? I heard about it. It's a Brazilian movie about but the gangs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I took a peek at it. I never really was my cup of tea. I mean, okay. I, I didn't want to look at it. Well, it's kind of like that, man. We follow these two kids in New Orleans right before crack comes to New Orleans. We show how idyllic the hood used to be, and then you know we had some we had some drama or whatever. But it wasn't like when crack came. It just came. It flipped the script. Yeah. On 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 a, multiple layers of of uh, our community. So we, you know, we wanted to do that, and so we started writing it, and we we were dealing. You know, we want to deal with education, corruption, police corruption, political corruption, apathy, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. And then it, we realized that it was a bit more than we could chew at that stage of our writing. So then we said, "Hey, man, we." And then we did research. We were talking to uh, ex kingpins, hitmen, ex hitmen, uh, judges, cops. Juvenile justice, you know, we, we, we really did a lot of extensive uh, research, and we got, I think we just got exhausted. We got, it was kind of depressing. I got to. I mean, that's a lot. And so what we did was I, was, I said, hey, man, we need to just kind of digest this stuff. Instead of just trying to write and we don't know what the hell we're doing, let's do another project. So we did this web series called Refugees. Right. And it was like a comedy road movie. These two guys, are they're from New Orleans. One's being ran by some gangsters, another one's trying to run from a embarrassing situation with his ex-fiance. <laughs> they don't know each other. they just kind of hitching a ride, and they leave like a couple of days before Katrina. But they have no idea Katrina's coming. And once they're in the middle of their trip, they realize Katrina happened, and they, they decide to exploit the situation because people was giving them stuff. Okay. And so Eddie Redmayne, Oscar winner, and Maria Bello make cameos. Oh, no, Maria Bello. She was in um, History of Violence. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'd work with her on a film, and she begged. She's like, I want to be in your... Because she saw a couple of episodes, and William Hurt. Oh, you know, no, yeah. Yeah, he wanted to be in it. And the timing, and you know, it was like, I wanted him so bad, but I was the director's assistant on this movie, and I didn't. there were certain lines I didn't want to cross. Right. You know, and so uh, he, he really wanted to be in it, and we just kind of ran out of time, so... Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. That's really cool. So, so I'm writing stuff. I've got... Uh, I co-wrote that, and I've got about two or three scripts that I actually have been sitting on that I'd written because uh, I, I wrote them, but I didn't realize that rewriting is a separate skill set. Well, can you hire somebody to rewrite it though? You can, but I'd rather just do it uh, yourself. I, I tried. I tried to get people to partner up with people, and and you know I don't have a lot of money to pay, so you get what you pay for. Right. And so uh, when it dawned on me that it was a different skill set, just you know, just like auditioning. Preparing for an audition and preparing to shoot a role are two different skill sets. It's like a sprint versus a marathon. Right. So um, once I realized that I didn't know how to rewrite, 
I start, you know, I basically uh, had to. I'm in the process of learning that, and and, and now I'm ready. You know, I, I I I've got the basic skills, and I've got a great support of producers and directors and people that work in production who you know give me input. One of my best friends is a vice president of uh, a major studio. He started, He was a, like a unit production manager. Oh, okay. And so we've been friends. Uh, he, you know, he. Hired, I, he hired me on uh, Fast and Furious 4, Skeleton Key, um, you know, um, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, <laughs> you know, just all these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, he's he's one of my closest friends, so he, he gives me a lot of valuable input. So my, my thing was to write these scripts, and instead of going and say, hey, I got this one thing I wrote, say, hey, man, I've got four of these things. Actually, I'll say, hey, this is you know, this is what I heard you were looking for. This, I say, hey, man, we like it, but we're looking for that. I say, hey, well, I got one of those too. So, so my thing was just to get proficient at writing. Okay, if that makes sense. Oh, well, that makes sense because you know I try to do the little writing thing. I mean, I have I'm, I have the ideas for a, um, a book, but I need to put it on paper. And I mean, I always get a block, a mm. writer's block, and I, oh man, what the hell? Mm. I, and I can't I can't think of nothing else. So I mean, I'm, it's in the process. You know, I'm not gonna say much on the podcast. I'm gonna wait till it happens. Right, right. I just, I just, I just say, man, no matter how little you write, even if you're not physically writing, if you're thinking, if you're brainstorming, that's writing. That's yeah. work. I even think a lot when I'm driving, man, because I'm driving. Yeah. I'm thinking about the next thing I wanted to do. Right, right. Now, on my way here, I was thinking about starting up a media um, um, outlet. I mean, entertainment thing. While I was driving here, you know, just my mind works like that. Yeah, that's how I am. I'm tell you what. When I'm traveling, driving, or if I'm on somebody else's job, and it's a job that's not demanding, where I've got time, idle time, I'll be so productive on my own stuff. Right. <laughs> I'll be more productive than if I'm in my office. Yeah, that's how I started <laughs> with the podcast, man. I mean, I wanted something else. I need another outlet to say things, you know. And this is right. a start that I started with this podcast. And I, I appreciate my people, my friends, and you, of course, guests mm-hmm. coming and doing this podcast. It's mean a lot to me. But I'm not, I'm not going to talk about me no more. It's all about no, my no, interview no, no. with you, you know. But but I tell you what, man. I I, I tell you, I'm, I'm loving what you're saying because at the, we all have these dreams and aspirations, right? And I guess my the theme for my life and my career is like, man, if I could do it, anybody could do it. Because I was a regular guy, and what I mean by that, I'm still a regular guy. But I was working a nine to five. I was in school, had a girlfriend, 25 years old, and at a certain we were at the play, the beauty shop. Watching it on stage before it was a movie. Right. And I kept saying, man, I could do that. I could do that. And she said, well, God damn it, then do it. <laughs> and I was mad at her because I don't like to be, you know, men, we got oh, ego. Yeah. We like to be talked to in the yeah, kind of way. Yeah, you know, ego is getting in the way, yeah. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a Saturday night. So the next day I'm watching the Saints probably get their butt kicked by the 49ers or somebody. And I'm, and I'm you know, I'm still kind of mad. But I was like, you know what, man? I'm mad because she's right. And just to tell you how the Lord works, man. That Monday, I was going to my night literature class, and there was a poster saying auditions. And I had already made up my mind. I'm, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was like, man, I, she's right. Yeah. I'm going to, I've been talking about this. I she was, was that push. She, she was, man. You know you, you know how like you, you work with somebody, and they're a closet singer or a closet comedian? And they get, and I'll tell you what happens. Say if, you, if, say if I want to be a writer, I'm telling you, I come to work and say, man, I got this great idea. And you're like... Man, that's awesome. You should write it. Well, when you say it's awesome, you've just validated, and so I don't have to write it, right? Because you've already validated it, and that's where I was. And, and uh, people kept saying, you know, 
I didn't realize at the time, but a lot of people had said, man, you need to do it, my uncle. And so I, I did it. And it was just, you know, just, just one night at a plate. And so my my line of reasoning is like, man, just do it. It, it sounds hard, you know, simple. Uh, but I'm, I'm a walking example of a guy who had no training in writing, producing, directing, even drumming. Right. Even art. I'm an artist. I sell my art. I had no formal training in this stuff. But I, I, I had a curiosity and I had this inkling in my heart. Man, I think I can do Matter of fact, I know I can do it. Now, there's millions of people who say that. Right. And there's about a half a million who make an attempt. And then there's like maybe a quarter million who do it for like a couple of months. And quit and don't want to do yeah, it again. Yeah, and then there's a couple of thousand who will go through, you know, over a period of 20. You know, it takes about 15 years to be an overnight sensation. Mm. Uh, another question is this. Would you rather be working on films or TV shows? Which one is easier for you to do? Um, again, man, each uh, it used to be that TV was easy, right? But the quality of TV they're shooting it like film now. I, I agree because um, Daredevil. I'm gonna give an example: Daredevil on Netflix. Now it's like a movie, mm-hmm. twelve episodes, and and it took them like what? It took them like three or four months to five months to shoot it, just for a television show, right? Because on Netflix, you got to binge watch. You right, watch right, one right. episode after episode after episode, right? But with Daredevil, man, it, it took them like two or four or five months. And you got post-production, pre-production. You got all that stuff in, the editing and stuff like that. Right. And the quality of TV is way better when I was growing up as a kid. Absolutely. You know, you got more complex stories. The plots is it's, it's different. I have a theory on why that is. We've had, uh, when I went to Hollywood, Right after I got there in 2001, we had a writer's strike. I remember that. Yeah. And, and the San Antonio Spurs won the championship that year, <laughs> a short basketball year. Okay. And so, um, and I'm not sure, but I think we had maybe two work stoppages or threats. You know, one for sure, we just stopped. And that's when all the reality programming came. Right. In the early 2000s. So what happened was the whole business model changed, whereas these conglomerates bought all these independents up. So instead of having, you know, 80 movies, middle budget, low budget, big budget, you mostly have big budget and middle budget. Right. You know, and so all these people in films and and what happened was in L.A. before Louisiana, New Orleans was doing tax credits. Excuse me. You had um, Canada and Eastern Europe where people could go, you know, shoot a movie for a quarter of the budget. Right. So what happened was people got tired. like, man. You know, making a great living, but I, I, I'm out of town nine months out the year. And so with the writer's strike, you had all these great, uh, you know, there was less opportunities to do films. So all these great writers started doing TV. And they went to HBO and Showtime because they're the ones who really kicked up the, the quality of television. They were doing Sopranos at HBO, yeah, Absolutely. Right? And all that kind of stuff. And even before the Sopranos, they had good stuff on Dream On and all this different That's stuff. right. You know, just stuff that was quirky and different. And so, uh, and even Fox, you know, with Arrested Development and stuff like that. Oh, I love that show. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, what ended up happening, these guys got tired of the runaway production, as they call it. And they, they, you know, it used to be that, uh, for an actor especially, and maybe some directors, once you move to TV, they put you out to pasture. I, I never got that. I was having a conversation with a friend, and we were just talking about television in general, and I know back in the day, you would not get an A-lister to 
do a television show. Unless they were needing money for alimony or they were they weren't getting, you know, cuz you, you're getting to a certain age and you're not the leading lady or the leading man no more. Yeah, and that's so crazy. So you become the villain guest star on the Rockford Files and all these yeah. It's just crazy because you know you have people like George Clooney the ER and you know the facts of life. Star- yeah, it star- started, started yeah. you know, he's the big Hollywood star. And now it's the it's reverse. You exactly. got Kevin Spacey who's doing House of Cards. He's a damn A-list actor. Well, well, I tell you what happened, man. These guys, you know, people like Kevin Spacey, you know, they get nominated when Oscars. They get to a certain um, salary level. And then what happens is that since there's less content being out there, you know, there's a scarcity of uh, great material, quality material. So then you're looking at all these great writers and crew, directors, and everybody moved into TV. So then you say, hey, man, I've already made my money. Now I really want to do something, you know, for me to get out of my bed every day. I want to do something that's worthwhile. Most of these people that you named, they're the producers and co-creators of these shows. Right. And so the new business model has, um, you know, given an entrepreneurial opportunity for actors, for ownership now. Because, you know, even back in the days, if you're a star of a show, but you don't have, you know, ABC owns it, and you're doing, you know, 16, 18-hour days, and you're getting a nice, you know, you're getting more than the average person who goes to a factory. Mm-hmm. But you're not getting the billions of dollars every year that the uh, TV, you know, ABC is getting from ad revenues. So when people started doing the math, you know, because a, a lot of times you used to see actors' name as producers, it's just kind of vanity. It's just in the contract. I got to be a producer. It's not a way to get an extra check, you know. But now they, it's, it's really more of uh, having some kind of artistic input. The creative um, input you need. Absolutely. I understand that, man, because I always look at the television shows like The Blacklist with Jane Spader, man. Mm-hmm. Hell of an actor. Right. And I love that show, man. And he's also a producer, and you know, executive producer, either one. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, we're at an age now that television is way better than the movie sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. really, like for tomorrow, Game of Thrones coming on tomorrow. Is it the premiere? No, this is like episode seven, I think. Six okay, or seven. Okay. So, I mean, I'm see, in the Game see, of Thrones, man. See, I got to get hip to it because I've caught bits and pieces of it and I hear about it. So, I've tried to like isolate myself because I, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I got to start at, where can I get, is it on Netflix? No, it's not on Netflix. Amazon it's, Prime? It's on, not on Amazon. Yeah, you might have to get on Amazon Prime, but I have HBO Go. I have an okay, okay. app on my PS4. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the thing is that, I mean, I love television. I mean, it's so much stuff out there, so much content, you know. Like really you said, is. it's so much. You could pick either a spy, um, drama, sci-fi. You got all you got a couple of, of, of all genres in there. It's 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 amazing to me. You know, it's funny because what has happened now is what Hollywood had been trying to hold off for the better part of seventy five years, and they they consider it the inmates are running the asylum. And what I mean by that is that the actors, not even the actors, the public, is controlling the content to a certain extent. Because it used to be, if you want to watch Cosby or whatever, you got to come here at seven o'clock every Thursday, right? Now, a la carte. You, you know, we've been trying to get a la carte from our cable companies for years. Uh-huh. And they've gotten FCC you know, uh, regulation to not have to do that. And now we have evolved to where the audience really... You know, what's the name of the show that got canceled, but the audience spoke up and then they ended up... Uh, was it Firefly? Or Serenity. They made the Serenity. movie Serenity from Firefly. I one of them. I mean, I love the show. It's on Fox. You know, Fox like to right. screw over sci-fi's television show. Right, 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 if it ain't X-Files, 
they fuck you over. I'm sorry. That's my <laughs> opinion. I'm keeping it real, man. Because if it's in the science fiction, right. Fox not going to keep you. Gotcha. Yeah, that's it was X-File. X-File lasted 10 years. And they just brought in a new season this past, this this year. Did you watch it? I watched all six episodes. Was it good? It was okay. I think I saw one of them. Right. It was okay. It was like the episode. I like the Monster of the Week episode. Mm-hmm. Then they always had Monsters of the Week on okay. X-File. But like I said, man, Fox, if you are science fiction, anything that was sci-fi, you screwed. Right. Because they cancel you quick. You might not last one season. Absolutely. And so, you know, the reality of it is I think with, with actors and producers and writers, I think producers have already have always known it and directors too. But it is a business. It is. And so uh, I remember Quincy Jones once said, those who have the longest, most productive careers, who equally have um, access to the business and the creative instincts. You know, you look at Madonna, Prince, Michael Jack. Yeah, they were great artists, but they were genius business people. Yeah, that's Even true. The, biz, the, the Beatles, Sinatra, Elvis, all of these people were dynamic, charismatic, but they were very shrewd promoters and businessmen. I mean, well, in my opinion is this, if, you know, you got to change what, what the time was going on at that moment, you know, it's all about the evolution of your creation. Mm-hmm. You know, if this is what's going on now, you need to some kind of way get your creation, your creation, your creativity that way. I right. mean, that's what I think, you know. Like you said, those people have been in longevity. It's all about longevity. You know, some people there for like one or two years, and some people be there for 20-plus years. Absolutely. You know, it's all about creativity. You always got to change. Right. You know, that's for anything, television, movies, books, everything. That's, that's in my opinion. Nobody had a longer run as a pop star than Michael Jackson. Yeah. Nobody. Because nobody started at five and then went to 50. Yeah, that's true. You know, you had Shirley Temple and people who were kids, and then you know what happened with most kid, um, you, know, you know, stars. They got them on drugs. You got Elvis, you got yes, Sinatra, Sinatra when yeah. they were in their young twenties. But then, you know, so even if they, you know, if they went thirty, twenty years, right? Um, nobody went as long. Nobody started at five to fifty something. That's true. Then, yeah, and, and you know, and even Prince, man, I, I was like a, I liked him, but I wasn't a huge fan. You know, I jumped on the Purple Rain train. Uh, but then I, after he passed away, I was just peeping out, really just got, because he was so private. And again, all of that, part of that was that mystique was marketing and, you know, familiarity breeds contempt and absence makes the heart, you know. So these <laughs> cats, yeah, yeah, these cats were geniuses at uh, controlling, you know, their um, their persona and their images and all that kind of stuff. You know what I think of geniuses, man? Sometimes they're going to be recluse. Uh-huh. They're reclusive, you know, genius. They I mean they're so smart and the creativity and everything, but they could be recluse to, to themselves and no one else. But when they put the stuff out, people love it. I have a theory on that, man. Um, most my, my definition of a genius is a person who is doing exactly what they were put on this earth to do. That's what Prince did. You know, we can name Drew Brees, you know, we can Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, right. you know, business people, whatever. And these people live, breathe. Most of these guys or women have had multiple marriages. Right. And they've been single for a long time because they are married. This is the most they live, eat, and breathe this. While we, you know, I'll I give you an example, man. You know, in New Orleans, a couple of us, man, we get to working and we get a break. Hey, man, let's go hang out. 
and, you know, because you want to celebrate, you want to, um, you know, the spoils of the victory. Yeah, man, it's Friday night. Just yeah, got man, paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wrapped early, man. What's happening? Yeah. But these people, man, they like, um, they they got they have to create. It's nonstop. It's like it's like air, and all this other extracurricular stuff is 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 not even on their radar. They'll do it if they, you know, they'll go make appearances, go to this party, go, you know. It's just like, I mean, it's just like Kanye West. I'm just saying like that. I mean, some people don't like him, some people do. Mm -hmm. But I would say Kanye has put out a lot of things. He's always doing things. You know, he's very outspoken. You know, he could be a butthole sometimes to some people. But, I mean, that's just him. I mean, I'll tell you another thing, man. Um, You're from Mississippi, right? Right, I'm from Mississippi. And so you went to high school in elementary, right? Right. So you've been here 15 years and you've, you've had experiences that the average person who you went to high school with maybe didn't have if right. they stayed in Mississippi. Mm, I have a few classmates still staying in Mississippi. Absolutely. So what happens is when you go back, you can compensate with them, but you you couldn't, you probably wouldn't want to go to a three or four hour dinner with them, you know, because their experiences and their conversation might be limited. Right. It doesn't make them less of a human being to you. So my example is that when you're Tom Cruise, Will Smith might be one of the few people in the world who you can relate to on your level of what you're dealing with. Right. You know, I've, I've been movies 27 years, but, you know, Cruz and I, you know, out for the, other than the love of film, I don't have his problems or his issues. But he can talk to someone who, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Because even at that level, I saw with Allen some other people, um, you're not uh, insulated from from the business, the vultures of the business. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's not because, okay, I'm Will Smith and and I've got it made. It's a constant fight. It's a constant struggle. Same thing with Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, all these. I used to, I didn't like, even when I lived in L.A., I hated Kobe. <laughs> but then I saw uh, the documentary Kobe doing work. Right. And I thought that Kobe was one of the generation that he was entitled. Yeah, he's physically gifted and he's just entitled and he's a crybaby. But then I saw the effort that he was putting in, and I, you know, I, I was familiar with Jordan's effort. I was kind of familiar with Prince's and Michael's, but I, I became even more familiar after they passed away, as people, because you know, everybody who worked with them were very loyal, right? And then once they passed, they felt because they, you know, they want to keep quiet. But once every, once they passed, they said, "Now I can, really, you know, I've been seeing and hearing all this stuff. Let me tell you who this brother really was." And we're getting. I'm looking at. Um, footage of Prince in rehearsals with his band. I'm getting stories from people that work for him. And, um, you know, they, they are reclusive because not everybody is, uh, like, if you look at the people that Prince had, uh, you know, meaningful relationships outside of his people from Minneapolis who he came up with, Andre 3000, Janelle Monet, uh, a couple of other people, D'Angelo, these are people that have that genius gene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're talking about. And they, they're not just happy to be. You know, they're excited because it's Prince. But once, you know, and Prince knows he's he's very aware of who he is and how people respond. But once they get over that, man, we can t- talk nuts and bolts till 5 o'clock in the morning. We can go jam. Another cat might be there like, hey, man, you know where I can get no blow or we got two girls. All right. But if these cats who on that same level with him... You know, they come there at 8 o'clock at night. Next thing you know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. And they, oh, all right. Couldn't in there work. Yeah, I'm going to call the car and send you And Look, can you come back at 3? Because I want to finish that track. Yeah. And that's what, that's what these cats love for. And it's a trip because somebody who does that for 20, 30, 40 years, man, that's passion. That's love. 
It is love. That's I got so I got I got I got bored with acting. That's why I left. Right. To, you know, I got bored playing drums. I got you know. But to me, you just have to constantly, constantly got to change yourself, constantly doing something different, you know, and just, just, just stick with it, you know. And that's that's what I think. That's that's my opinion, you know. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right, man. I mean, if, and that's the thing, man. If you if you love something, man, it's, you know, it's automatic. That's what you're gonna do, you know. And speaking speaking of TV again, I saw an episode of Scream Queens, man. <laughs> Scream Queens, man. I, I didn't I didn't want to watch it because my girlfriend want to watch it. So that automatic, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah put me on. Flag. Yeah, I was like, oh gosh, she's watching Scream Queens. Right, right. And it had um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Right, right, right. You know, the ultimate Scream Queen. You know, <laughs> right. and then I'm like, I'm looking at, it, I'm like, damn, that's that's Terrence. <laughs> I know that once again, man. You the judge on that television yeah, yeah. show. <laughs> I like I was laughing, man. I'm like, so how was it working on Screen Queens? It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career. <laughs> really? Well, I'll tell you why, man. The night before, you know, it's the day they sh- we shot it on a Thursday, and they called me Wednesday. You're right. And they say, hey, my agent, uh, are you available tomorrow? Screen Queens wants you. I was like, all right, audition. Like, no, they want to book you. So, in the last two years, I've gotten more roles without auditioning. Because, you know, people look at your tape and they say, oh, that's your boy from such, yeah. Yeah. He can do this. And usually it's like one or two lines. Right. You know. So, I said, yeah, without looking at the script. So, I went to uh, wardrobe and, you know, it took a couple of hours because I had to go shopping. I had to wait for them. And then I got the script, man. It was like five pages of dialogue. <laughs> By the time I get the, do- the, the uh, finish with the um, wardrobe fitting, it's nine o'clock. <laughs> I have to be on set for 10 o'clock. Wow. It's five pages. It's the last scene of the last episode. Of I remember that. I, I actually sat there and looked and watched that episode with her. And i like, man, these girls are crazy. Absolutely, man. So I'm stressed out because normally something with that much verbiage, I'd like at least, at the very least, man, give me a week, three days. Right. You know, if you give me a week and a half, which is average, you know, it's like, okay, you're going to shoot on, are you free? Okay, cool. I'm gonna ooh, I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna turn it out. So I'm freaked out, man, because I can't do what I normally do. But I'm a professional, and I gotta. I've agreed to do it. If I honestly, if I would have seen the five pages, <laughs> with with you know, I mean, like, and out of the five pages, three of the pages have blocks of my dialogue. Damn. You know, that in itself, I, I you know, I'd have been lazy. Ah, nah, I can't do this. Damn. <laughs> and, and not because I didn't like the challenge, because I didn't want to turn in substandard work and I didn't want to mess these people's thing the stakes were high right and what had happened was at the last minute they had to rewrite the episode I don't know if it something got leaked uh, it just wasn't working well are they going to have a season 2 for that show, television I show I think they are but I don't know if they're going to shoot in Louisiana okay I'm not sure. So, so if they call you again, will you be able to do it again? Oh, man, absolutely, man. So Brad Falchuk, one of the co-creators, actually directed that episode and wrote it. So anyway, I go in and two friends of mine, the bailiff and the jury firm, and they all got the same call, and they all have one lines. And they were looking at me. You know how, like, man, I feel sorry for you, but ooh, I'm glad that's you and not me. <laughs> and they had that look. Like, hey, baby, how are you? You okay? <laughs> I'm glad it's not me. Exactly. That poor soul right there. And so we're walking the set to go shoot. And um, Carol Sutton, who, uh, you know, played the jury for me, she said, hey, baby, how you, you know, she was kind of, you know how, like, if you lost your pet or family member, people kind of soft pedal. So, hey, baby, how you, how you feeling? How you doing? (laughs) So I'm walking, we're walking the set. So I said, well, Carol, you know what? At the end of the day, they can't shoot me. 
Right. You're not gonna you're not gonna kill me. You're gonna pull out a gun. Right. So I was like, it is what it is. And and to be honest with you, man, I stressed myself out. Instead of just focusing on the stuff, I'd be focusing on. Then I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing? I I'm not gonna be able to do this. So anyway, got on set, and um, we shot all of uh, Emma Roberts and all their, their footage first. Right. Oh, on top of that, we've got 200 extras. Wow. So not only am I going to fail, I'm going to fail in front of 200 people who feel they probably can do better than in me. In the courtroom. In the courtroom. So, I, I, you know, it's, I, I teach acting to adults. And everything that I'm going through is stuff that I'm preaching against them as far as auditions and shooting and all that kind of stuff. And so here I am in that situation myself. Right. And I, and I normally, you know, I, I'm, I'm big about preparing. You know, knowing what I have to do, doing my homework, having options, all that kind of stuff. So I didn't really have a lot. You know, all I basically, it, it's it was written so well that all of the beats and everything was in it, thank God. Right. So I didn't have to do much, you know, um, research or whatever. Because I knew Judge Jack, you know, uh, Matheson, the type of judges on these deals, you know, who, who I'm emulating. Right. And so um, we shot all their footage and I'm, and I'm reading the script. And so then they turn on me. And I struggled to get through it. And Brad was, he was such a great, the whole crew, it was like, hey, man, you're doing great. But I was mad at myself because, like I said, man, I, when I come, I like to come correct. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, hey, man, you're doing great. And Brad said, look, man, I'm going to be honest with you. We didn't think we'd be able to do this. So thank you. And he said, you know, and I felt bad. Now, Carol, we rapped, and she said, how do you, how you think you did? <laughs> I said, I'm going to be honest with you, that was one of the most stressful and worst things I'd ever been through as an actor. But I said, they'll, you know, they've got what they need to cut it. And it's, I said, the irony of it, it'll probably be one of the better things I've ever done. Yeah, because that scene was like, wow, man, you gave it to those girls. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I tell you what, um, what was cool, man. Brad, the director, sent me the biggest, most wonderful bouquet of flowers and a thank you note. He said, I find you guilty of being unselfish. Say there you go, and you gotta have the opportunity to play the judge again. Who knows? You know, you know, you know. Somebody, um, I heard an actress say, you know, people, you know, a lot of times actors, when you get to a certain level, you're doing all this good work, and you start fighting over money. And she said, "Hey man, just get your career. The money's gonna come. Build your career." And so I've been blessed in the last year and a half, two years, to to do a variety of roles. I've I've done a big superhero movie. I've gotten to do you know my first part of my career was thugs and and then when I got older cops, right. And so one of the things I prayed on the year leading into last year was like man I want to do comedy, and then I got to do Get Hard. Yeah, I was looking at that. Yeah, yeah they, they ended up cutting me out, and I got to do D Train with Jack Black. Right. Within and I did this in a week. Within one week, I worked with Kevin Hart, Will Ferrell. Jack Black and Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> it was like taking a master's class in comedy because mm. I, you know, I'm I'm watching. I'm on set with them for like with uh, Kevin Hart and Will Ferrell. I'm on set for a day, and with Jack and them, I'm on for a week. So I'm watching some of the best at what they do. And what's cool is that all four of those guys are very subtle. Kevin looks very animated and energetic, but he's a really, really good actor, and his timing and his intelligence. It's funny because I was cracking him and Will up. They ended up cutting our scene out, but uh, I couldn't see them, and I had a line. Right. And so at the end of the the take, people would be everybody would just bust out laughing. So I'm thinking Kevin or Will's doing something, and so one of the extras comes up to me, man. 
they can't keep from laughing. With, you know, I'm thinking he's just trying to patronize me. You know, right. Trying to get free acting lessons or something. But then other people's like, oh, man. Hey. And then uh, Will, I had worked with Kevin on a couple of other projects before, as a uh, not as an actor, but I was working on uh, on Crew. On the Crew? Yeah, yeah, you know, on 40-Year-Old uh, Virgin. And oh, yeah, he was in yeah, and dying for Dolly. <laughs> yeah. and and then I remember one one the first time I saw Kevin do stand up was in L.A. at the Comedy Union on Pico, and about two thousand three, and I'd never seen him before. And every actor that was on stage I'd seen on Comedy View or whatever, but he was the last person. And Rodney Perry was the host who I'd been in a sketch comedy troupe with. And so man, uh, we saw Kevin, and I was like, oh my god, this cat is going to be the next. Thing. Oh, he is big, man. He paid his dues, man. He, he did, is, man. He's big right now. I mean, I saw Get Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, man. Keister. He said, real feral character said, I learned myself how to Keister. I'm like, what the hell is Keister? No, no, I don't remember that part. Yeah, he has stuck a shake in his ass and then came. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, well, really, man. No, but I, I said out to say, man, that I prayed on it and meditated and I got to do, com- I got a string of comedies. Scream, even in Bessie, I got a little comedic role. Scream, get hard, fist fight. I get to work with Ice Cube and and do some funny stuff. So, yeah, man, I, I've, I've been blessed. Now, speaking of cops on roles, you was in True Detective. Yes, I was. Now, I really seen, like, bits and pieces of True Detective, and my girl loved it. And then season one was the best season. Because season two was like a blah. Like, they people didn't really gravitate to it. Yeah, You know, even the trailer didn't really yeah. do nothing for me. So how was it working with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrison, man? Man, it was great, man. Because um, when I came in, my cousin, Tony Molina, had a recurring role. He was like in almost every episode. So I was only doing one. And he and I was at the callback competing right. against each other. And it was funny, man, because we, for the audition, it's like all the top actors, all the male, black, white uh, were in the room, you know, were coming for this callback for about maybe four or five, you know, because they had these regular detectives. Right. And so when you walk in the room, you sell this cash, you're like, oh, Lord, you know. Competition. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the best. It ain't <laughs> the just best anybody. of the best. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. We all look at each other like, oh, you, you know. And so what we had we had these scripts, and then what happened was they told us, hey, man, throw the scripts, and we're going to improv. And so they brought us all in the room together, which never happens. And then they had us improving together. And it was weird and disconcerting for me. And to be honest with you, it was the same day that the kids had gotten massacred at that school in the Northeast. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so, and it was a, you know, usually, you know, your auditions are between 10 and 1, 2 o'clock. Just like a 6 o'clock audition. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm usually, my energy is going, because I get up and bike 10 miles a day. I go teach kids filmmaking and my adult students writing, whatever. And so, um, so I'm just wait. I don't, you know, I didn't schedule anything. And so then, I, uh, as I'm uh, going over my lines, I turn the TV on. I saw mute, and I see breaking news of this shooting, man. So that, you know, and I was my improv skills at that time wasn't hot, and I just was like a lost. Right. So then they, um, they just called me out of the blue a couple of weeks. You know, my cousin got the role. Then they called me in, and um, you know, uh, he tells me, he said, "Man, you know." Um, Matthew is kind of in character, so he's not really... Woody's cool, blah, blah. And so it was kind of like some method stuff I think Matt was doing, just kind of separate himself so people don't come in your energy and your space and try to... Yeah, I know a lot of... I read about a lot of actors going to do method acting. Mm-hmm. Man, is they, they in their character. Right. And it's it. And I'm saying method. I don't know if that's what 
you know, uh, McConaughey was doing. Yeah. I'm just using that term to describe how, you know, certain things I'll do, if it's something very intense or whatever, I don't want to be around. If I got to be an asshole, yeah. I'm a nice guy normally. You know, everybody's got everything in them. Right. But I just like to be focused, so I want to be an asshole kind of that day. Not give them the crew stuff, but I just don't want to be around people and, you know, and throw that energy on the camera. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I mean, I've watched a lot of movies and TV, man, and I just see the transformation of actors in certain roles, man. You don't even recognize the actor, you know, from the look and the way they act. And I forgot back to Heath Ledger when he did the Joker for Batman. Damn. Right. He played a hell of a Joker. I didn't even right. know that was Heath Ledger. You know, because the way he was acting. And right. I think stories were that he was so much into that character. Yeah, it was deep, man. It, it was it, deep, yeah. And like, you have it, actors it, it like affected that. his personal life. And that's what I'm saying. You know, you've been acting for so long. I mean, can, can you like at least like separate yourself from that, from your everyday life and act? I mean, is it kind of hard to do that? You know, it depends, man. Um Almost every role that I play has me in it. Okay. And you got to, you know, uh, wear everything, bastards included. Right. You know, I think I'm a nice guy or whatever, and, and I like going uh, into places that I normally don't get to do in real life. Right. Because if I'd be an asshole on TV, the queen or whatever, and it's funny because when people see stuff on TV, they kind of, you know, they translate it. Why you? I hate yeah, you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But I, I like it because, you know, I don't, I don't live in that space. Um, in my regular life, so stuff that you wish you could tell people when sit, you know, when you know they paying me to do it now. Kiss my ass, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you can go there, but um, yeah. So so yeah, you know, you just kind of again, man. Each role for me is different, right? I don't say okay, it's another cop. I mean, initially I'll say that at first, oh okay, another cop. But then I was like, okay, how can I do him different? Like I, I did an astronaut wives club and I played like a protester. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, oh. it's, it's, it's so it's so one of my you know it's one little scene. So I was like, man, I'm gonna make him gay, but it, nothing about the scene is gay. Right. But that was my little secret to to make because you know because what happens, man, especially with cops, you know, in TV, you know, you just you're working and you just it, it becomes like by numbers. Mm-hmm. So the, and I walked away from acting the first time because I was playing all these the same thing. And I was like, man, I ain't, I ain't sign up for this. Yeah, you get typecast for something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, people would die to be in that position, but I wanted more. I'm greedy. You know, once I got that, I was like, all right, my, my you know, I'm, I'm on TV now. I want to do great work. And so, you know, it looked like I was going to have to write it. So that's why I walked away. But, um, I, I, you know, when it's something that I've done before, I'm looking for a twist. And it's nothing that people will say, oh, hey, he's doing this or that. But it's something that gives it a little, you know, they shouldn't be able to see what you're doing. Right. But they should enjoy it and respect it, you know. Uh, and, and, and again, working on True Detective, back to your original question, it was great, man. The director, um, I don't know if you saw Sin Nombre. I haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen that at all. It was all. one of his first films about a, a, a South or Central American kid who is trying to get to America and keep his family together, or whatever. And uh, Kerry is just a, a, a great spirit, man. Again, he gave me, you know, like I said, man, I'm cheeky, man. Because even though I'm a day player or I'm a guest star or whatever, I'm coming in and I'm coming with guns blazing. Right. Go big or go home. And they respect that because all of those guys on that crew from the directors to the DP to the stars, that's who they are. And they smell, you know, if they think you're scared or intimidated, they have no respect for you. So I come in like you may have never heard of me, but I'm here. <laughs> you know? 
it's that attitude you have to have. You know, you have to go in, go in it hard. You do your job. You know, if they don't like it, we'll go to the next one. I mean, I understand. Yeah. And you got to be a team. You know, if, if I come in, you know, I'm throwing my balls on the table. Hey. And then they say, no, 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 don't put your balls on. You know, I got to be able to be a team player and adjust. And, and, and at the same time, yeah, you're right about that. You've you got to have confidence and arrogance in, in, in that world. Right. Because you're dealing with a lot of A-type. You know, I've been on um, I've been on sets where the, the lead actor taken over because the director was weak. Yeah, I've been hearing stories about that on the internet or just reading that. Oh, absolutely. It's so they, clashing. They smell blood. Look, the average actor does more films than the average director. So I'm say if I'm 40, 50 years old and I've been doing this for 20, I've got 100 credits and some guy out of USC film school. First he's, year. He's done a couple of web series. Now he's doing a movie. And that I do not get sometimes. Like some of these major studios hire these guys who do indie films and give them these mega hits. Or mega European guys. European, these mega, mega movies, man. Big budgets. And, and they, sometimes they don't be good, and sometimes they good. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's a mixed bag. You know, most of these. Anytime somebody gives you that kind of opportunity, they've seen something. Right. It might have been a flash in the pan, you know, and it won't happen again or whatever. But most of the time, these are cats who are sick. You know, some are lucky, some are entitled, connected. But at the end of the day, talent wins out. You know, regardless of all of the nepotism and everything else. All of the kids who are working in Hollywood who are somebody else's kid, we can go down and list Nicholas yeah. Cage. All these, these cats got talent. Right. And they worked hard. You know, they ain't just show up and it's my daddy. Most of them, most of the ones that have integrity, they don't even want you to know that's their dad. And that's, yeah, I heard that before. Yeah, because they want to earn it, you know, and they want to get it on their own. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. And I respect, and people respect that. Mm-hmm. You're your own person. Because what happens, even, you know, even if you are working hard, once people find out you're such and such a son, they're going to make that assumption, you know, so you have to go above and beyond to show that I'm a I'm a team player. I'm a regular guy. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do, you know, whatever, whatever. And so uh, so that's, you know, that's that. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. I appreciate this interview, man. I had a lot of insight on a lot of things, man. You know, I haven't seen you in a while, you right, know, right, right, right. but, you know, that's a lot of insight. Man, I, any, anything you need, any you know, any people that I work with that's accessible that I can that I know that'll be here. Right, and a lot of friends that are working here, man, and they're great actors. They're faces, but they're not names. You know, right. you've seen them, like oh yeah, I've seen her. And with me, I'm pretty good with faces, man. I always tell my girlfriend, as I always say, yo, remember this actor? And when she got the information, I said, look, man, I have, I remember faces, man. If you in this movie, I couldn't do with that movie. That's right. how I am. Thank God for IMDb. Yeah, and thank you, Jesus, on that one. You're right. You're right. You know, I'm, man, I'm always, anytime I see somebody doing some great work, man, I'm, damn, who is that? I'm always doing that. Me too, man. As an actor, you know, people think, oh, because it's funny because I'll, uh, I'll meet other actors and, you know, um, and they're doing great stuff too. But they, you know, we always think somebody's doing more than us, right? And we're trying to get to their level or whatever. You know, we're kind of competitive or whatever. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm seeing these cats and oh man, I saw you. I was like, yeah, but I saw you and such such too. And they're tripping out. I'm tripping out that they know me and they're tripping out that I know them. That's E Rods. You know E Rods. E Rods. E Did you see what's the movie that uh, Denzel Washington E Rods? What's Rods' last name? Uh, when Denzel was the pilot. Oh, flight. Flight. Remember the, the guy? I don't know if he was FBI or FBI. Oh, my goodness, man. I th- have I seen Flight? I think I had not seen Flight. Okay. You saw Triple Nine? Oh, yeah. That's about to actually about Triple Nine, too. You, you was on Triple Nine. So, how is it working with um, 
Uh, I don't want to mess his name John, up. John Hillco? No. Um, the guy who played 12 Years a Slave. What's uh, Woody, not Woody Harrelson? The 12 Years a Slave, the black guy. Who? Oh, Chewy Tell. Chewy Tell is here for. Yeah. You know what? I didn't work with. only person I really worked with was Michelle Ang, uh-huh. who's the Asian woman on the Fear of the Walking Dead and the boat right. on the plane. Right. She was part of me and Woody Harrelson's team. Okay. Um, I worked on the same day with Casey Affleck, but I never seen with him. So basically, all of my scenes are with Woody and Michelle. Right. So there was only one day that Anthony Mackie and Casey Affleck was on the same. Because I think what happened was you had all these different storylines. Yeah. And so it was a nine-week shoot, and we were the last three weeks. So the first three weeks, I think it was probably because of schedules. And, and according to John, the director, man, um, it was it was hell getting this. Because you got all these act, You know, you, you got leads. Yeah, I was looking at all the actors Anthony, and actresses. Anthony, Tell, Woody. Norman Kate, Reedus. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron, you know, walking yeah. dead, and so, um, so they—I don't know if it was by design, but the first, you know, it seemed like it was in thirds. Like the first three weeks was this series of stories, and it had some overlap. And then the second, and then the last three weeks was ours, because we didn't, you know, looking on the call sheet, none of the other actors were working. All of those three weeks were dedicated to our stuff. That's kind of coincidental. You working Woody Harrison for the second time after True Detective. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woody's a character, man. He's a good guy. Which is again, man, what you see is what you get. Right. And I'm gonna tell you something about actors. Most of the actors that I've worked with, as uh, you know, as co- you know, working with them as acting uh, peers, or when I worked it in production as an assistant or whatever I was doing, the best. Like I, I was John Hurt's assistant on Skeleton Key. Mm-hmm. I was Chaz Palminteri's assistant on uh, In the Mix or Dying for Dolly with Kevin Hart. Um, I was, you know, Halle Berry. I worked with Clarence Williams the Third, David Arquette. Uh, all of these people, man, they were never late. Never had to wait for them. Professional, on time. I mean, it was a trip because, you know, I'm looking at somebody like John Hurd who's been doing this for 40, 50 years. Oh, yeah, it's been a lot, long time. And I asked John, I said, John, you know, he's a skeleton king. He really doesn't have a line because he's got a stroke. You know, he's playing this character who can't talk. But he's coming every day and doing, not complaining. And this guy, you know, he's won six BAFTAs or been nominated for six BAFTAs or whatever. And I said, John, what drives you to get up every morning and come do this and, be, you know, just be professional? And he looked me in the eye and he said, I'm still trying to get it right. That's saying a lot. It is, brother. And been working that long, you saying that? And, and if you talk, I think Sir Anthony Hopkins says the same thing, man. There, There's no such thing as you get to a certain, you know, uh, are, you a, uh, are you a basketball fan? Yeah. Well, who's one of your favorite players? When I was watching, like every time was Michael Jordan. Cool. So Mike had six rings. Yep. After that second ring, do you think Mike said, you know, I got two rings, so I can just show up and we're going to get a third? No, he was always working hard. And he was always reinventing himself. Reinventing himself, yeah. You know, he he quit. He retired that two, whatever, two years for baseball. And mm-hmm. he came back. I just tell you, you know, what kind of person Did he, he is. Did he two rings when he came back or three? He won three rings. It's a total of six rings. So, uh, just imagine, oh, two years he didn't play. He could have had eight. He could have been challenging uh, Bill. Bill, right. Because Bill had, what, nine or ten? Ten. Ten, yeah. yeah. Bill so, Russell, so, yeah. right? Yeah, ten with the yeah. Celtics. I, I love this, man. I'll, I'll tell you another thing that keeps me going as well. is As much as I love it, I have other interests. I'm a visual artist. All right. Uh, I work with kids. Whenever I'm, I don't care what city I'm in, man. I call people up and say, hey, man, uh, you got drama? Let me, can I come speak to your kids? Uh, people teaching summer, hey, man, let me come give a workshop. 
um, because it keeps you engaged. I'm kind of reclusive too, man. I know a lot of people. I, on my way coming to Atlanta, I stopped at a coffee shop right. to get a cup of coffee, get on the road. And one, two, three, four, five, six people from the time I walked to the coffee shop and went to my car stopped me. And I only knew two of them. Mm-hmm. And no, it was the night. It was the day after Roots had aired. All right. None of them mentioned Roots. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I could see if it's like, oh man, I saw you last night or whatever. It was like, say, man, you. And so what happens is I get invited to a lot of social stuff, and and it's cool stuff. And I like, man, I love people, but I'm a workaholic, man. And so I've got a little downtime, a little downtime for the first time since October. Not counting the holidays where you know we got like a week and a half. Right. right. So I've got downtime. You know, as of now, I don't have anything scheduled. But since October, I've been always had a gig. You know, and I felt that was a good place to be. Right. And that was a blessing. But I'm I'm kind of digging this because I'm really trying to. I'm still going to act, but I'm, I'm I want to be more. I'm, I'm trying to introduce myself as a producer and a writer behind the scenes. Absolutely. And I and it was funny because I had to. You know, I'm constantly reinvent myself. First, I was I was a regular guy who worked at uh, corporate America and was in school. Then I became an actor. Then I became a musician. Then I became a you know casting director for Cash Money, an assistant, a producer, director. And then I came back as an actor. That's so funny about Cash Money. I was just thinking my baby man what he did at the Breakfast Club. <laughs> you put some respect respect on that on my name. I'm like, wow, man. <laughs> And that's him, man. I'm, I got a funny story. The first day we were shooting that movie, this is how I became the casting director. I, I was cleaning toilets and making copies for them. Was it the movie Hot Boys? Baller Blocking. Baller block, Baller Blocking. I remember watching that. I had the soundtrack. That's how I first started working with him, man. Um, some kind of way I got on. I was an office PA. And I just won an award for my first film. I think I won second place in a Louisiana short film. Ann Rice at her mansion they gave me, you know, whatever. And so I went from that Sunday night to Monday. I'm making copies, coffee, and cleaning the toilet. So they had another uh, casting director. And um, on set, something had happened, and they overheard him talking about him, saying these N-words don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I'm in the bathroom, cleaning the bathroom, and they come in. They don't right. know I'm in there. And they start talking, and, and some of his goons or entourage. Yeah, entourage, yeah. He's like, you say, man, why don't we just bake this motherfucker a cake? And call it a day. <laughs> That's not like baby, man. But it wasn't him. It was one of his yeah, boys. Boys, okay. And so, so baby said, "Nah, nah. You know what? Pay this motherfucker what we on, and you get rid of him. You know, just be be done with him." So I flushed the toilet to let him know that they weren't alone. Right. So I walk out of the toilet. At this point, I'd been working with him about a week or two. They knew me from seeing me, but they kept their distance. I kept my, you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing. And he had already betrayed their trust because they didn't let anybody in their circle. Right. And they kind of let this cat in and he betrayed him. So the next day, the producer came comes up to me and said, Hey, man, got a proposition for you. Would you like to be the casting director? And he started, I said, Oh, yeah, no, I know what happened. <laughs> and I gave him my side. Of <laughs> yeah, side. right. And he gave me the, the side I didn't know. So I was making $600 a week and he gave me 500 on top of that. Mm. So in 1999, man, I'm making $1,100 cash. Cash for, money records, exactly. And then I'm making three fifty a day for the cast for the music videos that I was doing for them in between shooting. So um, it was a great experience, man. I learned a lot about you know I, I, as much people want to say they ghetto and this and that and the other man. Those those brothers ran a tight ship. 
Yeah, they were business minded, man. I mean, they, they absolutely, bro. So from the streets into the business world, I mean, you, it's, yeah, yeah. look at Jay Z. <laughs> I mean, all those cats, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, think about it. you know when you talk about entitled money families in America, you're talking about people that were mobsters who sent their kids to college who become respectable, bootleg, and you know we had a president, Kennedys, man. Come absolutely. on. And so that's what this, you know, no, nobody in my generation. I'm, I'll be 52 in July. So nobody in my generation was a CEO of any record company, much you know, much less their own. And so the guys that are five and ten years younger than me, you know, they 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 took that, they flipped, they took that crack business model, and they flipped it into uh, you know in, into the industry. And so now their kids are growing up. Not having to go in the hood, you know, you can take the most gangster cats. We can name Ice Cube and all of them, man. And all of their kids are like bougie middle class. Yep. <laughs> yeah, from but, you're right, and that's cool because now we've got th- these these kids have a network of each other who went to these schools and you know at these social things where now they've got this professional clique. Where when you were talking about why you don't have black executives because it's an insider club. Most of these guys went to NYU or Harvard or Yale Business School or wherever they went. And that's the the pool of people that elevated right. because of those connections. And uh, so now we've got, we've, we're creating this uh, network of little young entitled black kids who I hope look at their parents and say, hey man, this worked out for him. I want to take it to the next level. Yeah, right. They can have their, you know, and when I left acting, quiet as it was I saw all these I was 35 and I saw Ice Cube and uh, LL Cool J and all these cats getting roles and I said man even if I'm a better actor than them these cats got a million they they go they got a platinum and so that you know it makes a good business model for the people that's hiring them so I said what I want to do man is I want to write and produce for them so that's when I started you know and I said man I'll be more valuable as an actor when I get to a certain age right well, because because then there's more character actors in my age range. When I'm 35, then back then, man, when I even though I was 35, I look in my mid 20s. So I'm, you know, that's the cats who I'm competing against. And regardless of how good I am, they go in with the name because it has value. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now I'm at a point where I'm at an age where I can do more character, you know, authority figure, and I can be their boss, their dad, whatever. You know, these young. Hot shots. Well, like I said before, man, I, the roles I seen you in, I mean, like, the nice guy, that was hilarious. Thank you, The dude tried to get in that damn bar and hurt his damn hand. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious, <laughs> That was hilarious, man. But you do some great work. Thank you, man. Some I really great work. It. Thank you, man. This is really an honor uh, to do this, man, because you have a passion for, for story. You know, at the end of the day, man, we're storytellers. Right. And you, I, I love people who appreciate story. That's the thing that I, I didn't, I grew up reading Mad and Cracked. I didn't do the superhero stuff. Right. But when I got on Guardians, I, I did did some research. Research, right. And and then, you know, I, now I'm a collector, man, because now I go to the little spot on 278 and I'm, you know. Oh, yeah, the comic book shop up there. Yeah, I used yeah. to go there. Was, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And then there's one in New Orleans, man, and, you know, they see me buying all these Guardians and it's cool because they kind of like, 
You know, they probably looked me up and said, okay, he must be. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of end it right here, but I'm, I'm going to leave you on this note with that, what you just said about Guardians of the Galaxy. I think this day and age now that the, the guys who used to collect these comic books and everything was like always nerdy, geeky guys mm-hmm. back in the day. You know, got probably talked about and picked on everything. But now it's acceptable. Exactly, it's very it's acceptable in our society. Right. So that's why I'm doing this podcast because you know I I like talking about stuff like this, and I appreciate it, man. I was a jock, you know what, man? I was a little bit of everything. Yeah, I played basketball too in high school. Yeah, I was equal opportunity, man. I was, you know I was kind of dipped around. I was a social butterfly. Man. Yeah, so I mean, like I said, I, basketball, comics, video games. I did all that stuff growing up as a kid, but I'm always with me. Right, you know, they never change. It's always with me, even right. I'm in my. I'm not gonna say my age like always, but you know. But um, that's 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 me, you know. But 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 thank you for doing this, man. And like I said, I got buddies that's constantly coming through here shooting, and so if the schedule permits, man, we you know, we're gonna break bread and exchange information. And I want as many people, you know, I'm a, I'm a tweet, you know, when it comes out, I'm right. gonna put it out there. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. You know, I, I mean, I really appreciate that. Like I said, this is something new. I'm starting out doing. But like I said, I really enjoy doing this. I say, bro, I love it. This was great, man. I love your passion. You know, like I'm saying, man, a lot of times when you go to this kind of stuff, you got people, they're doing a job because they're getting paid to host a thing. Man, you, I, I can tell just no, before we even yeah. we're sitting outside <laughs> right. eating crawfish, you know, the conversations you were having with with other people at the table and myself, I was like, oh, yeah, this brother's, uh, you know, he's about this. And I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking 100%, man. No no slacking on this. It's 100%. I'm going to stick with it. So I'm going to end my podcast today. Uh, just being able to podcast, my guest was um, Terrence Rosemore. Terrence, you got any social media outlets you need to say? On Facebook, under my name, Terrence Rosemore, T-E-R-E-N-C-E-R-O-S-E-M-O-R-E. I'm on Twitter, and I'm also on Instagram, or you can just go to my website, TerrenceRosemore.com. Cool. And you always so can catch me on Just Being Amos on Instagram and Twitter. And that's it for today. I mean, for tonight. Yeah, it was kind of late, so it was it was great. I'm saying it was great. Hey, man, for the same we both was drinking this um, that that blueberry beer and that gentleman Jack Brown. I think oh, we yeah. did well. I think we did excellent, man. <laughs> so y'all hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Peace. Just be in the